Welcome back to Twins Talk TV, The Peripheral. This week, we will be covering episode four. We've been getting some awesome reviews from you guys on Apple Podcasts, and we really appreciate it because they made me feel very good about myself. This is Beep. You can find me on Twitter for the moment at Beepsplain, and I am joined by Mick. And you can join me on Twitter for the moment at Micknick1291. I don't say that because I'm aching to leave. I say that because I saw something about everyone starting to be charged and I have no interest in paying for that website. Yeah, I, that was that's my hard limit too. Uh, if I have to pay to use Twitter, I've already created accounts elsewhere where I can keep in touch with people that I only talk to on Twitter. It's fine. Yeah, well, I mean, go to Tumblr if you want a dumpster fire. That's true. Okay, so episode four, what were your initial impressions? It's a lot. I think there is really good character moments. We get a lot of exposition dump on us at the end, which I think the show earned giving us that exposition dump. Mm -hmm. And I'm really excited to talk about this episode. Yeah, I feel the same way. I can see why Chloe said this episode is so important. I would say as a standalone, it is definitely not my favorite of the season. But some of the things that we get are not only very exciting, but super necessary at this point. You can only ask questions for so long before they become uninteresting. So I think that we got some really cool tidbits here. But I'm with you that in a lot of ways, almost the entire episode is a huge exposition dump. Which the show needed to do. Absolutely. I agree. And I think they did it in a way that was pretty organic. Because it's not like someone was just saying it to in a mirror or something, you know what I mean? The characters that we were following also needed this information. Yeah, we are on the journey with Flynn. And at this point, she has earned the exposition dump that she and we got. But I I would say as a standalone, this episode, definitely not a top tier episode. But as far as setup for the rest of the season, excellent. I agree. I think it was necessary and I think it's perfectly timed. Yes. Because you've got right at the center here, we're kicking off a whole different thing. It's like, okay, we found out just enough for things to get crazy. And now here we go. And I expect there to be some like full speed action towards crazy stuff from here on out. Well, because we only have four more episodes. This is like the halfway mark. Exactly. Yeah. So I think it was perfectly placed. They got to they gotta ramp up. Well, if that very last scene is anything to go by, we definitely have leveled up. Oh, yeah. But we will get to that final scene after we talk about all the other scenes. <laughs> we start the episode in London in 2075, and it is with young Wolf. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, he's still Wolf at this point, And Alita. And they're living on the streets, scrounging food and the atmosphere of the world is just dusty. Yeah, it either looks like to me, because I know London has the whole rain thing going on anyway. It looked not only like the densest fog ever fogged, but also maybe super dirty. I mean, it's almost like there was a nuclear apocalypse. <laughs> but Wolf has returned to this destroyed bus fuselage thing that all of the street kids 
are using as like a meetup spot where they all go and, and scrounge as much food from the different areas. Like they each get dispatched to a different area, scrounge up as much food as possible, come together and then split it up amongst themselves. And Angus, who is a dick, has decided that Wolf is not pulling his weight and not collecting enough. And of course, Alita is always saving this boy, jumping in like, yeah, but I've I've collected enough for both of us. And he's like, fine, give him your food. <laughs> like, I don't care. Yeah, Angus is the worst. He sucks. But there's this line, and I, I picked it up. I mean, it had to be put in there, obviously, on purpose. But I thought it was cute when he's trying to turn down the food. And Alita's like, well, maybe I'll just give it to the mouse. And he's like, but then he'll ask for a splash of milk. Which is directly from the children's book, If You Give a Mouse a Cookie. And I sometimes think it's cool for crazy post-apocalyptic worlds to have carried on some like really minor thing from now. Yeah, I really like the fact that if you give a mouse a cookie, an all-time classic children's book, uh-huh. survived to 2075, or at least the lore of it did. <laughs> right. And if you do not know this book, you should absolutely read it. And then also there's a whole series. Like, if you give a pig a pancake, or if you give a moose a muffin. <laughs> and they're just adorable, and it's great. They're great books. Truly. Highly recommend. I don't care if you're 45. Go read if you give a mouse a cookie. Yeah, and try to tell me it's not cute, those little pictures. With the little pictures and the little story. <laughs> you you will feel like a child again. <laughs> and then sit and wonder why you read that book. Yeah, exactly. So pivoting back to children, <laughs> Angus is a dick. And they see somebody outside. It looks like a bunch of adults are like handing out food. And so he's like, yeah, well, it's... Let's just send Wolf to deal with that. See what's going on over there. Because apparently kids are getting taken off the street. Yeah. And Alita does not want Wolf to go. She's like, no, they, they're grabbing kids. Hell no, you're not going out there. And he's like, well, you're not the boss of me. I can do whatever I want. And he has to prove himself to Angus. I don't know why. I mean, I understand it. You're a child, like social pressures and all that. Yeah, he's the big bully and he's like, your girlfriend has to take care of you. And I'm just like, get out of here, guy. Nice to know that toxic masculinity still thrives in 2075. (laughs) But Wolf decides, no, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to investigate to see what this, like, it's the equivalent of like a Red Cross tent after a hurricane. Yeah, essentially. FEMA. (laughs) Yeah, FEMA. And Alita is outside of the bus with Wolf, and she's trying to stop him. And I really like the the visual design of this scene, because it's dusty and foggy and gross everywhere, but we get clarity when they're close enough to each other where they can see each other, and like they don't have the fog enveloping them. Mm-hmm. But then Wolf goes to investigate, and smartly, he doesn't just run up to the tent and be like, hi, I want food. (laughs) He investigates it and he notices there's a weird shimmer on the tent. So he throws a rock through it. Not the most subtle move. And it's all an illusion. Uh And then all these motherfuckers in like hazmat suits come like, I think it's really funny. Anytime anybody in a hazmat suit has to run. (laughs) Yeah, true. This is super (laughs) awkward. So they like start awkwardly like lumbering towards him in this bulky suit and he starts running and calling for Alita. But now the fog 
is thick enough where they can't find each other. He didn't travel that far, but they really played with that effect beautifully to really build up the suspense. So Alita runs into the fog trying to find Wolf. They're calling for each other. They can't find each other. And then they both get snatched. Mm, Those little siblings got snatched. Which we can postulate that that is how they ended up with the world's shittiest parents, but being super rich at the same time. Right, exactly. They went to whatever this location is first for, what did they mention last time? Immunizations and... I don't know, there was like, like decontamination. Yeah, essentially. <laughs> essentially. We dropped them in a vat of bleach to disinfect them so you don't have dirty street kids. Here you go. <laughs> Here, take two. So we pop back to 2100, still in London. We've got Wilf and Lev. So this is after we went into the crazy clock room in the last episode and found Alita's implant. And Wilf also took two CPUs out of the peripherals. This is what we learn here. The implant has something to do with immunity because Lev said that Wilf better be prepared for her to be dead because without the immunity boost in her implant, how long can she last? So clearly that's a whole thing. That's a whole let's it's like, it's almost like a little bit of a throwaway line where it's like, Oh, she's probably dead, but it's a huge lore dump because something has happened to make the world toxic. Right. And I'm assuming they have them as well. And now that it's kind of indicated, okay, we we need these to maybe live. <laughs> I think it's a double-edged sword, though. I think it's needed to live, but also to be tracked. I agree. I agree. That's probably a thing. So they did mention, though, the CPUs from the peripherals that Ash and Ossian can track where they were being piloted from. So that's kind of interesting because who's behind that? Somebody has to be working with Alita if there were actual pults in those peripherals. And I'm assuming there isn't like a pult AI that is programmed to be a eye remover surgeon. <laughs> I was like a surgeon, but I don't was were they surgeons? Maybe they were just like psychopaths. <laughs> I mean there's a hovering Roomba. I'm pretty sure robots can be surgeons. <laughs> yeah, but you know, maybe they're programmed with the doctor's oath, like first do no harm. And in this case, they were obviously doing harm. So maybe <laughs> maybe you had to have some psychos who didn't have that uh, moral uh, quandary to fight with. You gotta you gotta have some some red-blooded sociopaths to do that for you. <laughs> so Love also makes an interesting point where he tells Wilf that he is almost tempted to just chuck Alita's implant and the two CPUs in the river and just wash his hands of this entire ordeal. Which is kind of cryptic because why is he looking for her to start with? A very good question. We don't really know that, do we? I don't think so. I think some stuff is alluded to when Sharice and Lev are chit-chatting later, but it's never explicitly stated. Right, why it is specifically Alita that he's after. Yeah, but we, we've got a lot of questions and no answers from this scene. So let's cut to Flynn having a hand spasm and squeezing the toothpaste all out of the tube. Okay, so the trauma that keeps showing up, the first time, this time in the mirror, it's not real per se, but there's always trauma around her eyes. So this time it looks like it's going to bleed out, basically. 
Yeah, so she's staring in the mirror, getting ready, washing her face, getting ready to brush her teeth. And as she's staring in the mirror, she starts seeing blood seep out of the eye that was surgically removed in the future. And she kind of freaks out. And then she glances down at her hand and sees that it's spasmed. And she squeezed all the toothpaste out of the tube. And she, as soon as she gets control back of her hand and is able to release it, she looks up and she's completely fine. Right, yeah, the the vision is not there this time, which is in contrast to what happens a bit later when and we'll get to that. Yeah. But she's interrupted from brushing her teeth. So rem- remember, Flynn has stinky breath this entire episode. <laughs> Britain calls to Flynn, they have company. And this is presumably the morning because Flynn's like brushing her teeth, I'm guessing. It's it's the morning. It's it's light out. But Tommy has stopped by in not his officer's gear, just in his regular truck and street clothes, to ask Burton what the fuck is going on. <laughs> as a friend. As a friend. He wants to be very clear. He's like, I'm not here in uniform. I'm doing this as a friend. But like, there's like a subtle threat where he's like, I could totally be in uniform and just arrest you because you're being suspicious as fuck. <laughs> well, and even if there wasn't, it's just, there there are 12 bodies in the backyard. Okay. (laughs) What friend do you have? I mean, besides me, what friend do you have that if they found that out, wouldn't be like, Oh shit, I am a cop. And like, (laughs) not be okay with that. Truth. Truth. Yeah. Well, as we discussed, we would have burned the bodies. So it wouldn't really be an issue. Yeah. We we would have burned the bodies because that is, much more efficient than having to dig a giant trench for 12 fucking bodies. But Tommy approaches Burton tosses him a beer, presumably in the morning because that is what they do in rural. What state are they in? North Carolina, rural North Carolina, 9am morning beer. He took one sip of that thing and ditched it. And that's like a big thing that happens in TV. And it always drives me nuts. It drove me absolutely insane. Do not waste a drink. <laughs> Just don't take a sip of the beer. Don't ruin it. Don't be like Flynn and spitting it for no damn reason. Yeah, now nobody can have it. Yeah. So Burton tells Tommy that they're fine. Nothing to worry about. And Tommy's like, I don't know. You got drones flying overhead. You got all these cars here all the time. You were shaking hands with Corbell Pickett. There was that weird bullet, the future tech cars. There's kind of a lot of evidence piling up here that you're into some shady shit. And Burton's just like, nah, (laughs) nah, we're good. Nah, we're square. Five by five. And then Tommy, I think rightfully turns to Flynn and is like, Flynn, are you okay? Mm -hmm. Because Flynn's acting weird, but Flynn's acting weird for... So many reasons. (laughs) Yeah, huge. One, I think there's, she's had a crush on this guy since high school. So she obviously wants to tell him because like, ooh, maybe like, you know, that's like time to spend with him talking about this crazy shit. Mm -hmm. Two, she doesn't like lying. Three, people are trying to kill them. So a little firepower wouldn't hurt. But four, she's also having to worry about the fact that her hand has a life of its own as a clincher now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
So Tommy takes one sip of the beer, leaves it on the truck, and is just like, all right, remember that I am your friend, and, like, pieces out. And it's like, that seems like a warning, like, you're not going to be my friend anymore. Yeah, because now I feel like he said it so many times <laughs> that it doesn't mean the Tommy's word Tommy's word saying. of the day calendar must have been friend. Yeah, see how many times you can slip it into a conversation. <laughs> but Burton and Flynn retreat to Flynn's room. Where she voices that she is not happy about lying to Tommy because, like, one, he's a cop, he could help us. Two, he is our friend. And Burton is just flat out, like, you can't think clearly about this. And she's like, what, because I'm a girl? Blah, 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 blah. And then he goes and he grabs the Tommy cake topper from her garbage can. And she is outraged. Yeah. And I just want to say, that cake topper looks nothing like fucking Tommy. (laughs) Not even a little bit. Okay, let's talk about Chekhov's cake topper for a moment. (laughs) Okay, I didn't think she threw it away. I thought she put it back in her drawer when Billy Ann was over. I did too. Either way, let's just assume it's been in the trash. Logistically speaking, why... Would Burton ever be in her room when she wasn't around? Creepy, bro. That he knew that was there. Creepy. That's creepy. I just find that strange logistically because I have no reason to believe he like ever even comes in the house if it's not for her. Well, yeah, he lives in his little uh, little trailer in the back. That bachelor life he loves so much. (laughs) Yeah, he's living that airstream life. It's fine. He's going to be on like, you know, HGTV soon. It's, It's all good. But I I found that a little, I mean, suspension of disbelief, sure. We can go to the future, but I don't know why he's in her room. Like, I guess it's it's not important, but it did bother me. And then it bothered Flynn a lot because she pops off. Yes, she does. This is where we get a little bit of background on what she's had going on. She is like, look, I understand you went to war. You, You saw a lot of stuff. You had some trauma. Like, I get that. But I am the one that was here. I had to pick up the pieces after our dad died when mom got sick. I had to be the one. So all I had was Sims and this stupid crush. So you can shove it up your ass, Burton. Yep. And it sounded, too, like when he – I'm sure right when he came back, he was a disaster. So she probably was having to take care of him, too. Yeah. So – The theory that I'm never going to (laughs) forget now. Never will I forget my theory again. I mean, I just feel like it's being broadcast all over the world that Flynn has past problems with Sims and getting too lost in them. And I think that's even actually more evident later on when she's in there. I know she's just watching home movies, but it's weird. Okay, it's weird that that's what she's trying to escape to. I think that Flynn, instead of working through her problems or through her emotions, runs away from them like I run away from my thoughts and feelings. Sure. Distractions. (laughs) (laughs) I would agree with that. I would agree with that. I also think, and this, this is just coming to me as like a total aside, it'll be interesting to see, and I don't even know that they'll really have... I don't know that I see a clash coming in this season. It will be interesting to see 
how much she's like Alita. I feel like they have a lot of the same things going on. I could see that. I look forward to them interacting for real instead of how they did in the pilot. Right, whenever Flynn still thought it was a sim anyway. Yeah, but yeah just the idea of like always looking out for their people, they're always taking care of people, and they're totally fixated on the past, you know, and, and have apparently a lot of difficulty living in the the world and the time that they are in. Yeah, they both... Well, Flynn is running away from her problems with distractions and is getting lost in the future, while Alita seems to be obsessed in some way with the past Mm -hmm. and can't live in the present, can't be satisfied with the present. Neither of them can be satisfied with the present. They have to be focusing on other things. Exactly. But as Flynn is... Popping off at Burton. They film this so cool because they keep cutting back and forth between Flynn's face and Burton's face as she's yelling at him. And every time we cut back to Flynn's face, you see a black eye Mm -hmm. starting to develop. Blooming, essentially. In the span of 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. And Burton notices this happening and he's like, I mean, I think anybody would be like, whoa. Yeah. (laughs) There's so many weird implications of, one, we're arguing very loudly, you now have a black eye. Problematic. (laughs) Two, I'm watching a black eye just, like, manifest on your face. Weird. Also problematic. So glad our friend, the cop, left. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But Burton starts trying to shut her up. He's like, Flynn! Oh my god, Flynn! Flynn! And she is just popping off. She has a lot to get off her chest. This must have been boiling over for a while. And then she finishes her spiel and just drops to the floor like a sack of potatoes having a seizure. Mm-hmm. I thought she did a really good job with that. And it looked kind of hard to film because she really was, to me, like shaking in a way that didn't make it look like she was shaking. You know what I mean? Like she was, no, she was convulsing. Fetal position. Yeah. Like really leaned into it. I thought, I don't know. I thought she did a great job. I, I liked that. Good acting, Chloe. Here was my first thing. I was like, wait. Aren't you supposed to stick something in someone's mouth when they're seizing so that they don't bite their tongue or choke on their tongue or whatever? That's been disproven. Yeah, I went ahead and looked that up. So I'm going to give you all some facts right now because you're absolutely not supposed to do that. (laughs) I was just going to kind of let it be like, wait, is that a thing? But it is not a thing. So let's talk about how you can help save someone when they're seizing. Don't do that. No, absolutely don't do that. Basically, though, all you need to do is try to get everything away from them so they're not hitting anything. And it's this simple. Don't hold them down. You got to let them ride the seizure wave. Yeah, don't hold them down and turn them on one side. That's it. Not yep. Don't leave them on their back. Put them on their side. So, yeah, don't put things at people's mouths when they cannot give consent. I think it's pretty much just like an over overriding truth at this point consent is important so we we cut away from flynn having a seizure and burton being freaked the fuck out and we cut to ri where our evil queen that we love so dearly and are also terrified of has some technicians creating a coid of daniel i because knew it i knew she had more daniels <laughs> 
Because while she treated him like dirt, she seems to have been really attached to the man that she had her coy murder. She absolutely does. So we we learn a lot of interesting stuff here. We didn't. Well, we learned this last episode, but I do need to point out again that coids look creepy as fuck when they have faces. Yep, that is weird. I I don't like it. So it sounds like the research institute does scans on all their people, which is basically like a backup of wherever they are at any given time, both physically and brain wise. Because she's like. This was made from his most recent scan seven weeks ago. And then the interesting thing I found about Sharice in this is the first thing I was like, oh my God, she pulled a full on Alita's mom. She just made herself a new one. (laughs) (laughs) But the difference is she wants it to be him, all of him. Whereas Alita's mom was just like, no, I just want this like cute version of you that's nice and whatever, like has no personality. Basically, it's not you. It'd be great if they looked like you and they were not you at all. But she she wants all of Daniel. She wants to spar with him. She wants to have him advise her or whatever. She wants that dynamic back. And I find that interesting because it seems like even though their dynamic is obviously like way off kilter and super strange, it seems like he's the only person in her life. Yeah, she's, I mean, it, life's hard for them, evil masterminds. Truly. That's why they always have one lackey. I know. I, you need more lackeys. <laughs> <laughs> and I will say, I, I, I'm going to use names this time because I just want to say that Tania Miller is smashing it. I know we just usually call her Hannah. It's a... It's, that's just a tendency we have from any show that we both like an anchor point that we know people from. So we're like, oh, Hannah Flynn by Manor. But Tania Miller is killing it. The range that woman has literally scares me. Baffling. <laughs> like, it's baffling. She's so good. But once she has the technicians get the posture right on the Daniel Coyd and she gets the personality right where he's his, what is it? The amenability Yes. <laughs> she wants him to be slightly more antagonistic. <laughs> yeah. She gets some information. It's like, okay, what's, you know, give me the information on, on what we learned from our little escapade. And they identify Wilf Netherton. And they, she makes the connection that Wilf works with Lev. And that is a connection to the clept. And she's like, ah, oh, there it is. I knew it. And She's like, all right, where is he right now? And they track down Lev to exactly where he's at. And she's like, all right, well, I'm going to go out and pay him a little bit of a visit. Terrifying. The Research Institute is terrifying. It truly is. And she is at the core of that. Yeah, she is genuinely the most terrifying character in a show I've seen in a very long time. I agree, because I don't. I don't know what she's thinking and I don't know what she's going to do, but I do know that she's capable of both staring at you till you just cower or killing you with bees. So <laughs> there's yep. a, there's quite a range here. She's that got we're a range with. of terrifying. She's Truly. just fucking terrifying. Cut back to 2032 where we are sitting in the Jeep that Burton definitely didn't buy and only rented. Mm -hmm. and they are outside 
of a medical clinic that is run by Tommy's fiance, Dee Dee. And Flynn doesn't want to go inside because she's like, I'm fine. I feel fine. And he's like, you had a giant fucking seizure in front of me and a black eye just appeared on your face. You're going to the doctor and your hand is all jacked up. Like, we got to get you to the doctor. And she's like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. Well, she does make a bit of a point when she's just like, it's clearly the headset and she's going to tell me to stop using the headset. Like, it's not. It's not genius work here, but it is important to see if she actually is okay or not. Right. But you got her name. I can't believe it. I just call her fiance, you know, because I mean, unless somebody's in at least three episodes of a show, I don't even attempt to learn their name. And then, you know, I I have a feeling I never would have caught hers, but it is Dee Dee. So fiance is a doctor, which who runs a clinic. Flynn would never try to compete with that. It makes me sad, like, about her crush, because I'm like, she would, she probably thinks that, that Dee Dee is so good and that she's not good enough for him. Well, Burton then, in the car before they go in, is like, okay, Dee Dee's going to be in there. It's Tommy's fiance. You're going to be okay. And she's like, remember that time that you and Connor hid weed in the attic and I found it? And I told you about it and promised to never speak another word of it again? And he's like, yeah. She's like, this is the first time I'm speaking a word of it. She's like, how about you reciprocate and shut the fuck up? <laughs> that was so sly. Like, she pulled out. It's a good thing she doesn't live in the present, I guess, because she pulled that out real quick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they head inside. And guess what happens? The Dee Dee does a brain scan or does a scan of something and her brain looks fine. Like she's like, Oh, it sounds like you had a grand mal seizure, but your brain doesn't look weird and you don't have any of the symptoms, but you do have this black eye, I guess, <laughs> but you have a black eye. No, but she's like, Oh, is there, has anything changed in your uh, life? Like anything at all? And Flynn's like, Nope. nope. And Burns like, Oh, she's, she's using a new headset. And she's like, well, obviously stop using that. What's the model? Let me look it up and see if there are any studies linked to like seizures. And then I feel like Flynn behind Burton, because we can't really see her, is doing like a victory dance. Like, I fucking told you. Yeah. And it's interesting that Burton didn't think about, because he brought this up last episode about Billion and Jasper. I'm a little surprised he was so gung-ho on this, especially when Tommy's been digging. I know there's, you know, doctor-patient confidentiality, whatever. He's going to know about this. I think that Burton didn't even consider any of the ramifications because Flynn, he's worried about Flynn. Yeah. Like, I'll go to jail. I don't care. But is my sister okay? Yeah. I love them so much. <laughs> and then she's like, oh, what's the model? And he's like, oh, it's more experimental headset thing. And she's like, okay, where'd you get it? And he's like, a company in Colombia. It's kind of like off the, it's a long story. <laughs> and she's like, do you have the contact information for this company? And he's like, I could probably find it. So she requests that he send her that contact information because she is sure as shit going to contact them and find out about this goddamn headset. She sure is. She's got a little bit of cop in her, too. I, I mean, was going to say, they, though, Tommy and Dee Dee over there, clearly a match. Yeah. Sticking their of- noses where they don't belong. <laughs> so real. So we go home. And I love this. I love it. I love that they let things breathe for a moment, but they don't let things lie. 
these siblings, like they blew up, they had it out, they've been together and just losing their shit on each other. And now it's like, okay, everybody calm down. Burton comes in. He has processed what she said to him. He accepts it. He owns his shit. They have a conversation. They're always checking in with each other. They actually listen. When do we see this? Ever. We don't. Yeah, Burton apologizes for... Flynn's like, what are you apologizing for? And he's like, okay, well, I guess we can start with the headset. <laughs> and then we can go down the list of the million things I have to apologize for. But Flynn isn't really looking for an apology. She's like, no, she's like, I've been to the future. Well, not really, but I've, you know, experienced the future. Like I've, I've gotten to see London. I've gotten to do all these things. Yeah, maybe there are some bad side effects, but you don't need to apologize to me because I got to live. Yeah. I just love their dynamic. Which is also just kind of a sad state of like where Flynn's been. I know. So she brings up mama in this context of like, oh, now mama can see. Like, obviously, that's one of the good things that happened. And I literally just wrote down like, I love how mama is basically a fridged character who happens to still be alive. (laughs) Yeah, she's not (laughs) fridged. They they only had the actor for for two episodes (laughs) she has like no purpose in this story whatsoever well no she was a plot hook to get flynn to be invested in the future that's what i'm saying there you go she's just she furthered the main character's journey and now she's been fridged alive or dead like you're right she got fridged but it's fine i don't need to know anything about her also like i feel having her be around more would complicate the story unnecessarily because she might ask, Hey Burton, why are all your friends living on our property? Why are you armed at all times? Why are there drones flying overhead? Why does Flynn have a black eye? Flynn, what's wrong with your, like it's a mom. Mom's been a mom. Yeah. So then we just don't let her. That's fine. (laughs) It's cool. (laughs) She just, yeah. I mean, it's like, she wouldn't even notice what's going on around her own property. This made sense when she was like blind and not doing anything, but hence anyway. her not being in an episode. Nope. <laughs> now she's just playing bridge down at the club every waking minute. Yeah. Bingo. Every night. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> so Burton leaves the house and leaves Flynn. She was in a sim in her room watching old family videos and he leaves her to her sim And goes to his trailer where Leon and Connor are. And Burton is like, I got to go in the headset. I got to bust some heads. I got to like body these people. I got to, I got to go and like show them who's boss. And I just found that super funny. Yeah. Cause he just wants to go to the future. (laughs) Cause he just wants to go to the future really badly and see why Flynn's so like obsessed with the future. But they all do. (laughs) Well, they don't know it's the future. That is true. That's true. But Connor is completely fixated. Fixated on the fact, because Leon's like, well, why don't you just call the people and yell at them? And he's like, no, like, like in a body, like in a body. And he like stresses in a body, fighting them, making a point, being all physical for no fucking reason. Yeah. And Connor's ears perk up and he's like a body you say a body yeah i don't have a body i want a body i do not have one we have 12 in the back and they've done nothing for me <laughs> so he's like i'll 
a body. I want to, I want to do that. Let's, let's do that. And I think that we can all see where this is going. Oh yeah. Yeah. Connor's going to go in the headset and I think Burton isn't a big enough dick to be like, no bro. Yeah. For real. (laughs) You can't do that. Connor's going to want to live in the headset though. Yeah, Connor's going to have a problem. He's probably the worst person to go in the headset, as we find out shortly, because we cut to 2100, where Wilf saunters into kitchen area, parlor Mm -hmm. area. There's a table and, like, a drink setup. And Lev's wife, Dominica, is sipping her tea, and Wilf apologizes for interrupting her. He, like is walking in, pauses mid-step when he sees her, and doesn't know what to do because apparently there's some weird hierarchy in, like, Lev's house. Yeah. That the pets are to be not seen or heard. (laughs) (laughs) Which he should be used to by now. Come on. (laughs) He was raised that way by those fuckers that he calls parents. Truth. So, I I gotta say, This is the one thing where I'm not being drawn in. I I look and I was like, what the fuck is it? Like, what is their dynamic about? And then I was like, you know what? I I actually don't care. Like, I don't know what she's got going on with him, about him, whatever she does normally. I don't know. But it's it, it kind of, to me, it hasn't been woven in enough, at least yet, where I find it pertinent. Oh, the dancing, the dancing, I can tell you what the point of the dancing was. She was doing that so that she could whisper into Wilf's ear later and ask him, all right, what's my husband up to? Tell me or you're going to be my enemy and you don't want to be my enemy. So what the fuck is he doing? Oh, yeah, that. So the music playing in the background. So Lev, because we cut to Lev in the garden having lunch and he is watching or listening to them dance and all he hears is music. Ew, he's always watching. It's so creepy. So he, all he hears is music, and he can't hear Dominica whispering to Wilf, what is he up to? You're going to tell me, or you're going to be my enemy, and you don't want to be my enemy. So it was all a cover for her to try and dig information out of Wilf as to what Lev is up to. Rich people. Stupid games. I'm going to go ahead and play the flu card on that one. Fair. Fair. Still, <laughs> still recovering. <laughs> the only reason that I really was like, oh, this is clever is because they did it in Pretty Little Liars. Any hoozles. <laughs> <And> um, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> Loves lunch and spying on his wife with Wilf is interrupted when Sharice out of nowhere saunters up to the table. And is <laughs> like, oh, am I interrupting you? Oh, are you surprised to see me? You always did put too much confidence in your perimeter monitors. Ho, ho, ho. I'm here now and I'm evil. She is so evil. Like, all we're missing is the twirling mustache and the very loud laugh. (laughs) That's true. She's got the umbrella and everything. That is true. (laughs) That is true. Yeah, if you're carrying around an umbrella and it's not raining, you're either a nanny or a psycho. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. She uh, asks to sit down while sitting down, so not really asking. And is like, Love, I can call you Love, can't I? And 
he's like, oh, can I call you Sharice? And she's like, I'd rather you didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Power move. She just strolls right on in and takes over this conversation that was not a conversation because it's just one man sitting outside by himself. But she somehow takes over the conversation. She does. And this is where we get a metaphor that simply does not work for me. (laughs) (laughs) She starts by saying that Lev stole something from her. And he plays dumb. Because he apparently stole Alita from Charisse. And I don't understand what it is with rich people and treating humans as property. No, but they're definitely both doing that. And she's like, you seem to be forgetting how our society doesn't crumble. And then she goes into a metaphor that doesn't work. No, because, I mean, even the first line, she's like, we live in a house with three walls. And, okay, we discussed this earlier. It's like, fine, maybe it's a triangle. Let's go with that. It's it's an A-frame, you know, old school. But that's not what happens. <laughs> no. Because, one, I have to point this out because I had to pause and have like a mini existential crisis. Do people keep toasts and napkin holders? I don't even understand why all that food is outside. Neither do I. Fucking Lev literally has like toast lined up in a napkin holder because a plate is just too much. And he's all he's doing is just like drinking tea and there's so much food. It's extravagance to a degree that makes no sense. So in Charisse's story here, we live in a house with three walls. And what that means is we just don't have a front to our house. So whatever. I can't imagine structurally that's going too well. Which actually might be working better than we assume. Because it doesn't sound like things are going too well in the reality either. True. So she puts on the board for us three groups, three players. We have the klept oligarchy. And apparently, at the time of the jackpot or ensuing incidents, that was the one group who managed, through extreme violence, to bring order to the people. They got rich in doing so. Now they're just super shady and allowed to kind of do whatever they want, so long as they continue to keep that order. You have the Met Police, who supposedly keeps the Klept in order. And then... The Research Institute, she says, provides technical assistance for society to function and thrive. And I feel like they're failing at their job. (laughs) Yep. And what happens is with this toast, as she introduces each of these, she puts down a piece of toast and creates a house, quote unquote, that is square shaped but only has three walls. Therefore, there is a giant gaping hole in the house, which means it's not so much a house as it is like a hovel. Yeah, got a little lean to. (laughs) And then she puts a piece of toast on top as the roof. And Lev coyly asks, what's the fourth piece of toast? And she's like, it's just a metaphor for, for the ceiling crashing down when one of the walls disappears and kills us all. She's like, the end of the world. (laughs) It wasn't dramatic at all. At all. So, let me tell you something that I only put together as a theory this episode. In fact, it was during her line about what the Research Institute does. I wonder 
if one of the reasons that peripherals exist is, if you're rich enough, obviously, just for anybody to go outside and do things because of the toxicity. Due to the jackpot. Uh Uh-huh. Which we will get to. But the jackpot, bad things happen. World ended. So I'm curious, though, if that's part of what they're used for. Potentially. Like, if I have one just so I can go outside, because that way it's not as uh, much of a strain on my immunity. That's true. Perhaps pre-implant? Hmm. Maybe. They were developed pre-implant so that people could leave their houses and experience life and socialize. But then Sharice goes on about a friend of Lev's, Yuri, who got in her way and with, like, a strand of DNA... They, like, targeted him and wiped him off the face of the earth. Good thing she has none of Lev's DNA. <laughs> and the conversation comes to a uneventful end. And she basically low-key threatens him, glancing at his teacup and saying, it's a good thing that we're not enemies and I don't have your DNA. And then walks away. And never reaches for the cup. But Lev is like... she left and goes to check his cup and guess what motherfuckers it's not there guess who does have your dna and lev looks genuinely terrified for like a split second as well he should be she did just threaten to wipe him off the face of the earth and she's tossing ceilings around (laughs) she's tossing ceilings around she's playing with his toast it's that was She's evil and terrifying, even when she's playing with food. Yeah, playing, like, going up and playing with someone's toast, that's, it's like a special kind of rude. I don't know. Do you mind (laughs) if I use this as a metaphor that doesn't work? (laughs) Yeah, seriously. (laughs) It doesn't Uh, matter. To me, like, that character could get away with saying anything, because it's just like, you know that the whole gist is you need to be very scared of me. Well, so... As Sharice vamooses from the situation, Ash is in a room. They kind of cut back and forth between these scenes to set it up, but it's easier Mm -hmm. to do this just summarizing. Ash is brushing Flynn's peripheral's hair when suddenly, out of nowhere, she comes to. And Ash is like, Flynn. And it's clearly not Flynn. So she starts backing up, terrified, like, oh my god, what happened? (laughs) Oh no. And... The person inhabiting Flynn, we know is Connor. They're so, he's so enamored with the fact that he has legs and two arms Uh and he's, he gets up and is just like shocked by the fact that he has a body, even though it's Flynn's. And she's like, who are you? Like Flynn or who, like, who is this? And he's like, who the hell are you? And Chloe does a great job impersonating the actor playing Connor, doing an accent. <laughs> she does. I thought that was great. It's her her mannerism, the way she was really snappy, her body movement. Yeah, I loved it. Who the fuck are you? Like, it just, it comes out in a different cadence, in a different voice, in a different, I loved it. I thought, it's, it's obviously a very small moment, but I thought that Chloe did awesome. She's amazing in this. I mean, she's amazing in every episode, but with like the seizure and then like impersonating Connor, just top notch. And then as Sharice is leaving, (laughs) a window smashes in the estate because Connor has thrown furniture out a window, leapt out the window, and is making a break for the gate. I don't know. We don't know what (laughs) happened. 
<laughs> between who the hell are you and that. <laughs> but it's really funny. Yeah, suffice it to say, if he did ask to go anywhere, she certainly turned him down. But Ash and Ossian kind of like grab the weird magic eight ball and evict Connor from the peripheral and he comes to in the trailer and he is just like yelling like it was so weird <laughs> to send him back he's already jones in that dude is 100 percent immediate addict he's done this is life now this is what he wants i mean it honestly when he comes out of it he's kind of like what? like he just got his first taste of heroin and he is I mean, if, like, people on heroin didn't not often fall asleep, like, the exact opposite. <laughs> yeah, that's called cocaine. Yeah, okay, yeah, that's an upper. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry. No, he definitely seems, though, like he just got a bump of something, and he's like, send me back! Like he's, uh, But he's, it's, like, not joking. It's like, no. send me back! He's, that is the plea of a desperate man. He just got a taste of the possibility of not living every day with what he lives with. And he will take no convincing. No. To want to just tr to live that life. Meanwhile, everybody gets notified that somebody, a pult hacked Flynn's peripheral and they're all up in arms about it. It's all techno babble and whatnot. Not that important. But what is important is that Flynn is once again lost in the past watching home videos. And as she is in this headset watching a Halloween of her Burton and their father that her mom was filming, guess who just manifests in her sim? None other than Mr. Netherton. Well, hello, Wolf. And Flynn addresses him as Mr. Netherton. Probably trying to distance herself a little bit after that last encounter. A little, little bit after after she had that, they had that very uh, not real, but totally real impassioned kiss. And she's like, I didn't invite you in here. This is kind of like a personal moment. And he's like, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. Ash arranged it. I, I didn't realize. Because Ash don't give a fuck. She definitely don't. But she can send them from 2100, it sounds like, into any sim, probably at any time. But she's definitely fixated right now on the people in this area and what's going on with them. So that's another interesting thing to know. They're not, the quantum tunneling isn't bound to the quote unquote like real sim that's going on in the future. They, she can send her people anywhere as well which obviously is how daniel got into corbell's cantina exactly to start with not through ash but you know what i mean another technical just in general technologically the quantum tunneling works both ways yeah another i'm sure they have more than one technical on their team and actually daniel may have been one. Oh, very possible Flynn shares a little bit about what this is it's a family video there's a company that turns it into a sim so you can relive it kind of and they kind of have a nice moment. And then she's like, why are you here? And he's like, well, we have a situation. And she's like, oh. And she's like, he's like, your friend Connor came to visit us and informed us of your seizure. 
And now my question is, this is why this episode isn't my favorite, because there's a lot of gaps that I feel like we deserve to see. Mm, that's fair. Did he have a conversation with Ash and was like, hey, Flynn's got some issues. All right, peace out. Whoosh, throws the furniture. Or did they send him back? And then he was like, sorry about that. I got a little excited. By the way, Flynn's having seizures and her hands all jacked up. Is your headset doing this? Okay, bye. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. It bothered me so much. I, I went back. I thought that I had missed a scene somehow. Yeah, okay, fair critique. But anyway, that happened. Now they know. So Wilf is like, get the brain scan. And if it is causing you harm, he's like, we will never ask you to come back again. He's like, you have my word on that. This exchange between the two of them on a personal level is really fascinating. Because when she asks him if that's what's doing it, and he says, I really don't know. And that comment from her about that's the first time I'm sure that you're not sitting here lying to my face. So the issue of, you know, how to trust or what's going on with the two of them is really interesting there. I wrote it down at first because she asked, you know, if he had a sibling and he's like, yeah, I have a sister. And I was like, I cannot believe we're doing this again, that you're just going to sit there and act like that's irrelevant to this story. But the fact that he gave, he kind of, you know, sees at the end, okay, like I, if I want her to trust me, I have to participate in this relationship. It goes both ways. And finally admits that Alita is his sister. And then he vamooses out of her son. <laughs> yeah. He's like, okay, later days. <laughs> and leaves her to sit there. And she really sits there and ponders for a second and is like, fuck. Because part of the conversation was she was poking fun at Burton and Wilf was like, oh, is that customary to poke fun at those you love? And she was, she said something and he's like, oh, do you not love him? She's like, he's my brother. Of course I love him. Do you have a sibling? Like you don't, mm -hmm. and he's like, yeah, I have a sister. She's like, so you understand. And it's one of those instances where he realizes that trust is something that's earned, not just given, at least in this instance, maybe in the future, everything is much more transactional. But here he's like, oh, I have to earn her trust, which means I need to be vulnerable. Right. And in this case, okay, I can offer up a nugget about myself that might come back to bite me later, but I have a connection with this person in some fashion. We need to work together. I don't hate her. My sister is Alita. Also seems, though, like a pretty good time strategically, because at some point she's going to find out. Oh, so well, she yeah. might as well find out from you and it might as well be in such a way that you've just like earned yourself some brownie points. Yeah. And then one other thing that happens in their conversation is that Flynn admits to Googling Wilfred, the name, and Lev Dubov mm -hmm. and finds out that a Lev Dubov and his entire family were murdered a few weeks ago. And she's like, that doesn't have anything to do with uh, your love, does it? And he's like, no, absolutely not. And she does not believe him. Not even a little bit. And who would? You know, I love the point about like, well, maybe that's a super common name now where you're from. I don't <laughs> <Yeah>. know. <laughs> <laughs> but 
so, the, so that's the gist of what happens in their interaction. But the reason that I bring up that Love's family died or was viciously murdered is because our next scene is Wilf in 2100 going to a fancy club where he has to put on a blindfold to meet with Lev. <laughs> this is so ridiculous. Because some of the clientele doesn't like to be seen. Yeah, is this where they like hunt people? Like, what's going on yeah, at this I don't place? Twenty one hundred's fucked up. Yeah, immediately as I was like, "Oh god, this is some sort of weird sex thing," yeah. <laughs> uh, and probably murder, like together, probably. But Wilf lets Love know that his family was killed in Flynn's stub, and Love is like, "Oh, you're so, you're so sweet." And naive, you're concerned about me. He's like, yeah, I totally sent people to go kill pet, like different versions of myself because I can't abide by there being other versions of myself in stubs. What a sociopath. <laughs> what a lunatic. <laughs> <laughs> there cannot be another person in the world that might be as good as me, and that would be me, so it had to go. Okay, here's my thing. Is it him? Was he one of the kids was the kid his dad? If they're actually talking about right in Flynn's time, which they are, there's a 70-year gap. So this is not Lev Lev, right? Like, I'm, I assumed it was like his grandpa or something. Yeah, it's some rel- he made sure that he doesn't exist in another timeline. Right, okay, because he told Wilf he would scrub his lineage. Well, except for, you know... Your origins are a bit... He basically was telling, yeah, you're, you're like a mutt. Yeah. Going with, with the wolf dynamic. And then Lev is like, haven't I ever told you why, like, what I had Alita doing for me? And Wolf Wolf tells him, well, no, you told me that if I needed to know, you'd let me know. And this isn't something I need to know. And he's like, oh, well, we're creating stubs for all sorts of reasons, basically, so the cleft can make money. Like, in one stub, we did human trials of a new drug. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, obviously. Why not? And... Wilf is mortified. And Lev is like, put your blindfold on and get out of here. If that's all you wanted to tell me was that I died in another timeline, I don't really care. Goodbye. And and Wilf stares at him for like a long pregnant pause. And he is just like, who the fuck am I working for? Truly. And so Lev, he to me is very different from Sharice. She commands a power that you cannot deny lev is he's really weird yep like on one minute it seems like he cares about something but the next he's so aloof or cold-hearted you know and it's just like he's like obviously why else for money and it's like yeah i mean i get that but can you at least like pretend to feel bad about it (laughs) like I he's genuinely like a sociopath. He truly is. He's like, yeah, my brother was doing like drug trials, whatever. Sounds good to me. It's weird to me because I know that we have this kind of thing that goes back and forth a lot of times in post-apocalyptic shows or anything with robots. You get the AI and it's like, what is human? What is not? This dude has decided if you're not in the main timeline, you're not even human. And you're actual humans. But it's like, if it's not in my timeline, it doesn't matter. Let's just, like, go ahead and kill people. Yeah, he's insane. But Wilf leaves, and we cut back to 2032, where 
Connor and Burton are playing, I believe, Fuck, Mary Kill. And Flynn approaches with a thermos of coffee because apparently Burton doesn't have a coffee maker in his trailer. (laughs) (laughs) That checks out. And at this point, they're openly, Flynn comes in and demands breakfast And so they're all sitting down to have breakfast and presumably they've filled Connor in completely on the future situation because Flynn flat out admits last time I was in there, we went to this place and this woman Alita had a model of our property with your trailer and all of you guys like it was a game. Right. And they're all kind of thrown off by that. And then Flynn wants to go back in, but she doesn't really know what to do. And Burton tells her, all right, well, what do you do when you play a sim? Like, what what if you treated, like, I know you know it's the future, but when you first started this, you didn't know that. You thought it was a sim, so how would you have played it? And the way that Flynn plays sims is first she breaks all the rules and dies a lot. Uh-huh. Then she learns all the rules. And then she kicks ass. Yeah. I love how he led her to that. Like, it wasn't necessary. And it was super cute. (laughs) Nope, it was adorable. And then what? And then what? Aw, yeah. Like, (laughs) and Connor is like, fuck yeah. Yeah. (laughs) They're super into it. So, yeah, he's like, it's our responsibility. He's like, we're going to get in there and die a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He's like, so play it like a sim and go in, explore, break the rules, the perceived rules, and figure out what the actual rules are. Mm-hmm. where are the boundaries like what are the limits of this system that you're in and flynn wants to go back into the headset and burns like you're not going back in there until you get your brain scan and she's like fuck you i'm going back in and burton is like well i want to go to the future too and connor's like yeah i'm going i want to go back too so flynn's like i'll get you guys bodies too bye <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Basically what she does. And she goes into the headset. And her peripheral is playing, I don't know what the game is called. You bounce a ball back and forth with children. Oh, yeah. It, is it kind of like Foursquare? I, I think it was uh, It was an incorrectly played version of Foursquare. Okay, fair enough. And Flynn comes too. And the kids are like, what happened to our toy? And Ash is like, kids get lost. And one of the coids takes the kids away. And Ash is like, what are you doing here? You didn't have a scheduled visit. And Flynn just takes off for the gate, not running. She's just walking. And she's like, well, you guys don't show me everything about this world. You're being very selective about what I get to know. And she's like, and when I play games, I'm an explorer. So it's about time I got to explore. So she exits the gate and Ash communicates to Ossian to pull her from the peripheral. But... The two nerds at Kinko's are hacking the headset to prevent them from, like, unlinking her. Yeah. What do they think they're doing? I guess they just think it's, they can think it's a normal sim in this be a thing, right? I guess. It's yeah, just, yeah. It's just a sim. I'm getting kicked out by the creator or whatever, but yeah, <laughs> kind of ridiculous nonsense. <laughs> I love it. But they, Ash is walking behind, like, Ossian's trying to do it, and he's fighting against these hackers, and she's like, what are you doing? Get her out. And he's like, I'm trying. I think it'd be a good idea for you to follow her, huh? 
hey, how about maybe help me? <laughs> yeah, so Ash is chasing after, like, power walking after Flynn and is trying to get her to stop. And Flynn is just like, no, you are only showing me what you want to show me. And I want to see this world. I know there's a lot less people. What happens in 10 years that Alita warned me about? Like, what is going on? And Ash tries to dodge. And eventually, Ossian gets her out. But what happens is, as Flynn comes out, the hacker bros at Kinko's do something. And they yell at Burton to have her close her eyes again because they're sending her right back in. Yeah, I I thought that was part of their plan. You know what I mean? Let the other one think they won, so they stop doing whatever, and it's like, okay, and then we're just going to go back like with a brute attack right away. I don't know what their strategy was, but it worked. Yeah, it did. So I think here, I'm, I'm not even so much critiquing it, because a lot of the things we've even brought up or had to bring up that are potential quote-unquote issues is just like to be able to nitpick something. I know that where we are time-wise in the story, it's necessary that this happens now, but I did think that Ash gave in a little easily about like, well, fine, I'll just tell you everything. Yep. Because she's been the most standoffish about any of it. Yeah, and she just kind of folded like a cheap suit. She was just like, meh. (laughs) Let's go. I don't have time for this crap. Come with me to the cemetery, child. (laughs) Where all the good things happen. But before you go into, I'm going to let you cover the jackpot because I think you have better notes than me. And I was very distracted by the beautiful visuals of the jackpot museum. Loved it. But Ossian contacts Lev, who contacts Wilf to meet with Ash and Flynn. Yes, at the cemetery where they are playing games. So we catch up with them in a cemetery where Ash is explaining the jackpot and Wilf joins them and take it away, the jackpot. So the jackpot to me, when I was kind of hearing them explain everything, it sounds a lot more like a perfect storm. And I think that's what Ash was saying, because she's like, it wasn't really like one thing and it wasn't immediate. It was lots of things that had already been here and just kept like barreling ahead. So I'm I'm thinking perfect storm. I'm thinking trifecta. I'm thinking, oh, you have to have all these pieces lined up to actually win a lottery. I don't know why this is important. It's not. Anyway, Flynn finds out in 2039 that what kind of everyone has agreed this is what sets off things getting bad. And that is for the hack of the North American electrical grid where they, we, I guess, oh, this would be disaster. So where the North American electrical grid grid is completely down blackouts for months i can't even i mean just that alone i feel like would become disastrous at the very least for you know these countries and then two years later in 2041 they have a pandemic yay but it's a they called it the blood plague it's a filovirus what does that mean I don't know, but she made a point to say it. Yeah, she said that. But basically, it just sounds like your guts explode. I mean, <laughs> it's like so your body over, like your organs fill with blood in a way they're not supposed to, and then your abdomen just goes pop. Yeah, it sounds super fun. Oh, filoviruses can cause hemorrhagic fever. Oh, they did some research. Good on them. Yeah. Anywho. 
because of environmental catastrophe, droughts, famine, antibiotic failure, and agricultural collapse over the next four decades, about 7 billion people died. And then the coup de grace. Yeah. And then in Spring City, North Carolina, which happens to be where the Fishers live, there is an event. They didn't say exactly when this was. They said that it was a domestic terrorist attack. Yeah, that this was kind of the final straw when someone blew up a nuclear missile silo. And she was like, that's where I live. (laughs) And that gives us, I think, a more concrete connection between these two places and times. Yeah, we're getting little tidbits here and there, and we're starting to piece together a picture. And I will say during this scene, the visuals, so... They, it's it's a regular cemetery, but like Wilf is like, Ash, send me the code. And what happens is that these big monuments that aren't really there, they're like programmed, exist. There are these four giant monuments, and each one represents one of the four things that caused the jackpot or that encompass the jackpot. Mm-hmm. And the visuals during this are just so gorgeous. I didn't even hear what they were, like what the four things were the first time. Mm -hmm. I was just enamored by the the graphical design of these monuments. They're extremely intricate and very, very textured. It's kind of just a whole world within itself when you're seeing it. It's not like you're looking at just pictures or a video. You know, it was definitely immersive for Flynn, especially in that last one. Well, and in the last one where the nuclear apocalypse occurs, she's the, the the first three are like monuments that kind of demonstrate like a power grid failure. Mm-hmm. One of them it looks like a virus. The other is like withering crops. And then this last one she gets actually like transported into nuclear fallout. And she's like, that's enough. Like, get me out of here. And so Ash releases her from the headset. And she comes to in the trailer. And this is how the episode ends. She is like fucked up in the head now. Because she's like, all of this has already started in 2032. Like, we're fucked. And Burton and Connor obviously have no clue. And they're like, did you get us bodies? And she's like, I'm working I'm on working it. On it. <laughs> working on it. I need to go have a full-on crisis. For real. So, you know, my thing, or one of my big things is continuing to ask who goes forward, who comes back, all that stuff. So, I'm excited that our boys are getting to go forward, too. Parts of the unit being together in 2100 is so exciting to me. Well, I understand them wanting the bodies because they want to experience the future. I'm wondering what the fuck the point of them going to the future is. I mean, if nothing else, I think it's recon. You know, these guys are fighting blind. What's the point for the 2100 folks to create them peripherals and provide them more headsets? Mm, So what's their leverage to let them... Like, what what do they get out of that deal? Because they're not, like, the future seems very transactional. Mm -hmm. So what are they getting in return for doing this solid? Like, what do they get from having Burton and Connor in 2100? That's a good question. They may just want 
more people to assist in finding Alita, though. It's not like they have, you know, a whole caravan. Well, and, and these guys are, like, tactically trained. Exactly. You know, so may- maybe that's enough. But it seems like an awful, well, I don't know, Love throws money away like it, like it's nothing. Like that ridiculous table full of food. Yeah, I mean, if if for no other reason, he would do it just because he can. <laughs> so that he could brag to them that he did. And then he can also, like, shove it in Charisse's face even more. Yes, very much so. But that was the episode. So we, I think the lore that we got and the development of like, oh, the boys are going to get bodies in 2100. That's going to be super dope. I think they did a lot of setup in this episode. It definitely wasn't a filler episode. It was just like exposition dump. It was like a filling episode. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) To fill in all the blanks. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that it did that well. I think this particular episode and probably this middle chunk will play better on rewatch kind of together when it's a eight episode movie exactly but the information that we got was was invaluable and extremely well-timed so the preview for next week looks insane we've got more sonic boom boom guns and i think yeah some people are gonna start quantum tunneling forward yes. backwards i don't know we're, we're gonna get some more players involved and we can't forget about Corbell. No, how could we? Yeah, we definitely were not in the 2032 point of view this time much no, at we all. No, were, we were mostly in 2100. So I don't know, because Corbell sent... Jasper. Thank you. I was like the dumb one. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's fair. Sent Jasper to do some digging. Tommy is getting concerned. His his fiance now has some info that it has something to do with the headset. Seems like things are going to come to pass sooner rather than later. Yeah, some of these storylines are going to have to start colliding. Yeah, because right now, honestly, it's not fair on Flynn, the way that the story has been going. Mm-hmm. She has to, she's getting info from 2100 and they're like, oh, Corbell's going to kill you. She's like, fuck, now I got to go deal with this. And then in that timeline, she's got to balance keeping Burton and Connor and all them in line. And I mean, she she has to play both sides on this and it's a lot for one person to handle. So it'll be interesting to see if we get some quantum tunneling from Burton and Connor to see them getting the info and not just taking it. Cause I feel like they're taking everything Flynn says seriously, but also with a bit of a grain of salt, mm-hmm. but getting that info directly from the source and they can ask questions that Flynn wouldn't think to ask. Right, because I know Burton's been telling her to find out certain things or whatever, but there is a lot more that comes up during the back and forth of a conversation than there is like a list of questions you meant to go ask, because the answers could lead, you know, Burton and Connor to a very different line of questioning from a strategy standpoint, since Flynn is just always leading with her gut and her feelings. I would like to see one of her arcs be learning to let other people help her. And I think that we're going to get that. That is going to be awesome. I shall cry alone (laughs) (laughs) in a corner. Oof, we did it. We did it. We made it through the episode. I mean, it is a good episode. I don't think standalone it's as strong, but it was an enjoyable exposition dump because a lot of things are making a lot more sense now. Yeah, uh, some of it was a little bit loosely connected, 
but I mean, I, yeah, I'm fine with it. It was it was great overall in context, and I'm excited to see how some of the stuff plays out that it actually brought up for us. So we will be back with episode five as soon as possible. Yeah, we will. Thanks for listening. <laughs>